He's gone mute. He's gone mute. Guy, our producer, has gone mute. We're <laughs> on our own now, Giles. Do you we think are. Be all right. <laughs> I'm a bit. There's a bit of trepidation always. It's that moment on for me live television when you've mm. just got you've just got the little thing in your ear and you're like okay this is it here we go <laughs> we're on our own really it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah how do you find do you like doing live television I do like doing live television I haven't done live television for a long time actually now I haven't done it for a couple of years I think because a lot of the stuff I've been doing has been uh, recorded stuff but there's something very exciting about live television and your gut it just spins around it really does it, it doesn't matter it, I do quite, I do a lot of um, uh, public speaking so I'll do a lot of talks I go to schools mm. quite a lot and talk and I get asked to do after dinner speeches and all those kinds of things and every single time you stand up in a room it doesn't matter whether you've got 100 people or a thousand people or 2,000 people in that room your tummy does a little and I always think that's a good thing because I think if you're ever blasé about that kind of uh situation then you're probably you've probably passed your peak (laughs) yeah I've found I mean I do a lot of school visits um I find those moments of talking on the hoof as it were Hmm. um easier actually than the sort of pre-planned stuff sometimes oh do you you see I like Mm. to be I like to know what I'm going to talk about and I like to have it very clearly defined in my head because I suppose I'm always conscious and I'm worried even if you've like if you've been paid say to go somewhere and talk Hmm. I'm thinking well like maybe the boss wanted me to come here and do this talk but maybe everyone in the room is like who is she (laughs) what's she here to talk about why is she here so I feel very conscious that I have to deliver something even if they don't like what I'm delivering I need mm. to deliver something and I, and I and it's the the producer side of my presenter brain is that I have to be I have to be able to to, to put a show of some sort on I don't mean singing and dancing because I'm really bad at that but I mean make sure what are you talking is. about I've, everyone must have seen your mum dancing by now yes phenomenal but- Goodness me, let's not Strictly. make that up. Strictly's kind of be calling any No moment. way. Oh, <laughs> the, the the death of Strictly. You know, I, I don't, everybody says, oh, when you do Strictly, and I would not, I would hate to do Strictly because you're in the papers every single yes. day. A lot of pressure. Months. It's a lot of pressure. It's just, it's the intrusion. It's the intrusion mm. on your, your personal life, that kind of pressure. Because remember, they need to fill the newspapers and this 24-hour rolling mm. news that needs to get filled every single day and I've I've got lots of friends who've done it and the stuff they do like the stories that they make out of nothing and then they start picking apart your marriage or your relationships and your personal life and then you get all the old like snogs that you had back in the 1980s all coming oh you know I snogged her at Isabella's oh no I'd be dreadful I really couldn't do that yeah the scrutiny is intense on a lot of those reality shows actually I mean celebrity get me out of here similar I think yeah and you're I, sort of I, your life's picked apart yes and it's it's really hard and tough on your mental health and I and I don't say that in a sort of a mm, you know, mental health fame and people watching you and it's you're opening a window that it's like this portal where suddenly people are watching you almost on a daily basis because of the press and then because of the, mm. the shows you've got a midweek show and then you've got a Saturday show and and you can never close that window because whatever mm. happens in the duration of that time, 
that will stay with you. And yeah, it's it, it's it's not. I, I love the aspect of learning to dance and all oh, the challenge. If you did something like um, I'm a celebrity, you know, can you do it? Can you stick it? Although why eating kangaroo assholes has to be part of a stamina <laughs> process, I don't know. But but it's the yeah, it's the press the press thing that would always put me off and has. I've said no several times. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what. The public forget sometimes is that um, those people on those shows are people um, and <laughs> they get affected by what people say about them just as much as anybody else. And more so in, in, in those intense environments as well, I should imagine. So I think we, we do well to sort of remember that they are human beings at the end of the day. Yes. Yes. And you don't know them. You think you know them, but yeah. everything that you see on screen is a persona. You know, people think that I spend my entire life walking around the great British countryside, like 300 days a year. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and, and I, it's so nice. People always say, oh, when you're passing in Gloucestershire, come in for tea. And, and I think they just think <laughs> I walk constantly with this backpack and leggings on. And, you know, you're some sort of nomad. You just like yes, going around no home, everywhere. No home, no other jobs, <laughs> nothing else to do, no family. No, <laughs> just me and a cameraman or a camera yeah. lady. <laughs> So it's funny how people perceive you and, and what they what yes. they think you are. And of course, we're all multifaceted. We've all got bad sides, good sides. Absolutely, we have, and positive sides. And positive sides. That's an almost flawless segue into the I podcast. Know. Shall we start? Yes, I think officially. We should. All right. Welcome to episode two of a little bit of positive with me, Julia Bradbury, and me, Giles Pady Phillips. So every week we're going to be talking about positive stories and positive people. And this week, uh, we're going to be talking about staying positive during lockdown. And as is becoming a little bit of a theme now, Giles, I have a question for you. Do you? Yeah. Do mm. you think you're a good person? Do I think I'm a good person? Yeah. Do you think you're a good person? Now, this is a this is quite a tough question, actually, because I would say some days I do mm. and some days I don't. Hmm. And heard? the reason I say that is because there are days when you you feel a bit maybe you're not in the right mood, frame of mind, whatever, and perhaps yeah. you're aware that actually you're not coming across that way. So that's why I would hesitate a little bit by saying that some days I do and some days I don't. Okay. Well, that is the right answer. Oh. Ah, so... I'm, not, I'm not normally writing quizzes. This is good. <clears throat> Well, I don't know if it's a quiz. Um, Alan de Botton, have you heard about Alan? I don't know how you pronounce his name, Alan de Botton, because he's a Swiss-born yeah. British philosopher. Anyway, all round, very, very clever Incredible, man. incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And I love his books. And, and he has um, a fantastic uh, website called The School of Life. And you get, um, I think it's weekly or monthly anyway, you get, you get these regular emails and then he poses these philosophical questions that you then sort of think about. And the question quite recently was the one question you need to ask to know whether you're a good person. And there's only one question that you ever need, apparently, to direct to someone at work. And that is, do you think you're a good person? And here we go. Here's the answer. There is only one acceptable answer. People who are genuinely good... People who know about kindness, patience, forgiveness, compromise, apology and gentleness always, always, always say no. Mm. Because people who reflect constantly on their own state and on the state of the world and on behaviours and their own behaviours, those are the people 
that are genuinely good because they can accept also other people's points of view and forgive sometimes other people's points of view. It's a really interesting article, so I recommend that you that you have a read. But I knew that you would you would give me the right answer because we all know that you're, we <laughs> well, all was know it that half. I was I felt like I was half right, half wrong because I said I, sometimes I do feel like I'm good. <laughs> But I think that's but I think that's good though because I, again you were, you're questioning yourself. Yeah. So you don't you don't think that you are yes I'm good. No, I don't. Without you know without any compromise I am definitely I'm a good person and <laughs> I think and and I suppose that's the whole point of of that as a question is you have to delve a little bit deeper. There is no simple straightforward answer of course, but by questioning yourself and reflecting that yes. in itself shows a good quality. Well, that moves on. To- somewhat to where we're at at the moment as a society you know we've got this time of reflection because we're in lockdown Mm. um or isolation um because of coronavirus and it's been a time for us all to reflect um, whether we wanted to or not yeah it's given us the space hasn't it and Mm. and that is one one thing that you hear time and time again and you read about from people is that um, they have slowed down. Richard Walker, our first guest, actually, mm. he said it, didn't he? He's running this multi-million pound business. He's a very powerful and a charismatic man. He's got a lot of responsibilities, which he takes very seriously. And we loved his positive approach to everything, mm. what he's doing with the planet and how he, he thinks his, thinks of his customers as communities, all of that stuff. But even he said, you know, he's, he's had time with his kids and with his family that he wouldn't normally have. He would be mm. off somewhere, you know, meetings and flying off to places and, and working out his business strategy. And we've all had this chance, good and bad, to reflect on our lives. And I hope, we, you know, we talk about lots of different things that we hope will be the result of, um, of this lockdown period. I don't think coronavirus is going anywhere very soon, I have to say. So I do think we're, we're all going to be living with this for a long, long time. So it's about adapting. But I, I, I think we're going to get to this. I hope we're going to get to this place where employers are more understanding about people working at home and shifting our priorities and not spending three hours commuting every day. All of those kinds of things. I, I hope that gets better. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think because we live in a sort of capitalist society, we we've been driven towards um success and um making money as well um and we obviously all need to make a living but if there are other ways we can do that and adapt to our situations i think that's vital really and i think we've had this sort of forced upon us and you know we are all in as individuals and as families and as businesses adapting and finding new ways of working and i'm actually quite excited about the future in some ways obviously we're going to be heading into a very difficult time economically Mm. but I think even just to the point of when we go for walks giving other people time to pass us and and in those moments we often get a chance to say hello to those people and we all can sort of knowingly nod at each other um, because we know that we you know we're making space and time for them to go past us I think those little moments are really special I think and I hope that those are the sort of things that we continue to do even once the sort of new normal has evolved into something else Mm. and and what is what is success as well if success is not having time to spend with your friends and your family 
if success is not being able to enjoy those moments that you've just spoken about. And for me, it's being able to enjoy moments in nature as well. And mm. it sounds so cliched, but we, we've got access to a garden. We live in central London, but we're very lucky. We've got like a communal garden that the kids and us can all share. And every day we do our walk to school, which is part of our routine. That's part for the kids. It's, it's a way of sort of our, one of our survival mechanisms really is keeping a routine of sorts going for the kids. Mm. So we do this walk around the garden in the morning, which emulates the walk to school. And the kids have really started noticing there were flowers that only flower for three weeks of the year. And they've seen mm. them. They've seen them from buds growing into flowers and then dying. They've seen that whole process. It's not just noticing the flower. It's it's actual life cycle because it's, yeah, it's quite cycle, short. Yeah. And and those little moments, those those are we we've evolved to be connected to nature. There's something called biophilia, which is a Greek word, and, and it's the love of of living things and, and organic things. Because we that is where we're from. And that is a that is a really important part of our, our mental health. It's like an anchor. Nature is the thing that that we're growing together. Mm. And that will always be, as long as we don't obviously continue plundering the, the earth the way that we are. Mm. And again, that's something else that I hope comes out of the coronavirus i think we've i think we've overegged it a bit i think everybody thinks that because the flight stopped or because the factories closed down in china that that's it the earth has mm. repaired itself and it's not like that you know we've got we've got decades and decades of sort of bad behavior towards the planet that we have mm. to reverse and correct but i do think it's been a good punctuation mark where everybody has understood again how important all these smaller things are in life. And that is your measure of success, isn't it? What's what's the point of having all the money in the world if you can't sit with your kids and read them a book at night because you're so busy making more money? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Funny, just going back to the nature thing as well, I think um, obviously we there was a, a turn of good weather when we first sort of went into lockdown. And I think but people, it gave people the appreciation, you know, the sort of quiet skies. You, you know, we could hear bird, more birds in our gardens. And, you know, we've started to see sort of other creatures that we might not see. I mean, a huge dragonfly flew into the conservatory yesterday. We don't ever see dragonflies in our house. And just sort of being aware of those things, and the, particularly for the children as well, being aware of those things, I think was really something that struck with me the first few weeks of the lockdown. Um, how our skies were so blue and it was so quiet everywhere. And that was a really, really lovely time, I think. And something that, um, you know, some people have been saying, would it be nice to have um, a lockdown every year? Now, I don't think everybody would like that. But I think certainly like a couple of days of reflection every year might be quite nice to just pause and um, and listen to the um, listen to the nature, listen to nature and see nature as it is. I think... Um, I know you're a big advocate of um, of walking and stuff, and I think that that's another thing that's been been nice during this time is being able to go out. Um, like you, we're lucky we have a garden, um, but we're very close to the South Downs where we are, so we are able to go for for long walks um, and um, you know be be at one with nature, which is just so great for our mental health. It is. I mean, uh, it goes back um, as as back as far as the 80s. There was an American biologist called um, E.O. Wilson, and he was the one who talked about this this biological need to connect that we that we have with nature. It genuinely it is. We are genetically determined to Mm. love the natural world. It, It is our DNA. The other interesting thing about nature 
and green spaces and parks and gardens is how much money they save the NHS. They mm. reckon conservatively green spaces save the NHS um, £100 million a year, which is wow. works out you could pay 3,500 nurses with yeah, with that money and that's people um not being referred to their doctors not uh, taking up prescription drugs that's a sort of a direct result of those green spaces which when you think about it, it i mean they call them green assets when you watch these big talks and 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 um discussions about you know what what the value is of, of all of these assets these green assets that's what they call them that's what that's what um the uh the politicians and and the business people call them green assets and when you think about it like that how much it saves you and i honestly think it's the best free tool it's the best free thing that we have out there so if one person listening today has never really thought about that even just a window box mm. or you know planting a, a sunflower seed now now's the time plant the sunflower seed inside and then watch it those tiny, tiny things, it seems so stupid, but they genuinely do make a difference. They, it is, that is what we're, we're here to do. And, and that is a, a free thing. And, and that must be, that must be a focus for people. I mean, we have an Earth Day. Once a year, there's an Earth Day, mm. but it pretty much all it stretches to is office building saying, okay, well, we'll turn our lights off at, at eight o'clock at night. We yeah. won't let them run through the night as we usually do. You know, our big towers in Canary Wharf or wherever they are across across Birmingham or the, or the world. Really, Earth Day, I'm with you. I think we should have an Earth holiday. Yeah, I was saying in the beginning, I think we should have a month. I think everything should stop for a month and around the world and you work it out that you know that maybe it's a month in different hemispheres so that it works for mm. that that hemisphere but where we do what we did flights stop factories close people can have a month working from home it, you know you, you change things so yeah. that there is a holiday there is a rest for us all from the norm because that's the important thing isn't it it's like switching it up changing your 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 routine and mm. trying something new because we're all on this this sort of hamster wheel and if we never get off the hamster wheel we'll never know what's what's beyond it what's on the other side yeah absolutely you must have been inspired by uh, the news story that that's that's been um it's been circulating recently the most incredible man he was called patrick hutchinson people might not know his name but you'll certainly i think be familiar with this story when i tell you about it mm. he is a black lives matter protester and he was involved in those recent skirmishes that were going on and there was this i think it was, a, was it a photograph or video footage i saw a photograph it was a still was, image i think i saw still on, image, on yeah. social media yeah um and he he had a man thrown over his shoulders like a fireman's lift thing and Patrick's a black guy and the man over his shoulder was white and this is relevant because the man over his shoulder was a far right protester i.e a racist you know a fascist mm -hmm. and this guy had been injured in the fracas and Patrick Hutchinson just kind of launched into the bit of the crowd where this guy was lying and he scooped him up and he put him over his shoulders and he took him away to safety. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, what an incredible, it, it, it's like the story made for our podcast, isn't it? The positive <laughs> news story, kindness triumphing over everything, yeah. but he would definitely pass the, uh, the question, the school of life. Are you a good person? Absolutely 
just inspiring and so beautiful to see. And those are the kind of moments that you think, yes, we're okay. The planet's going to be all right. We are going to be okay because there are people like that on Earth. Yeah, I think it was such a powerful image as well. Um, I think because I'd seen it going around social media and just sort of to, to think about what's been going on over the last few weeks. And that was just such a an amazing moment for someone to be so brave and courageous um, in the face of adversity. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, and using, you know, using those gut instincts to help a fellow person who, um, regardless of their beliefs, was was in trouble. And that's what he said it was. He, when you see him being interviewed, he said it was a gut instinct. He didn't really think about it. He just went in. He just did what he thought was right at that time. Because let's be honest, if you really started to analyse that situation and you saw that person there in front of you who you mm. knew hated you because of the colour of your skin and would harm you, mm. um, you probably wouldn't. The, the rational side of your brain would not pick that person up and save them, would it? You'd, you'd run away, yeah. if anything, or leave, leave yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about that, I've been looking at um, gut instincts and, and how, we, how we process thoughts, actually, yeah. um, and this idea of the three brains. Have you heard about this? Well, I know that I've got a few friends who are doctors and I know in this, I don't know if this is connected to your story, but I know mm. that um, they're, they're calling our, our gut, the microbiome part of our gut. They're now a lot of uh, medical practitioners are referring to that as the third, the third brain. Mm. Um, or the second brain where's the th where's the where's the third well, one expect, well i'll tell you all one, about all the three of, brains well, well they're calling it the second brain because i was thinking okay. there's one in your head and one in your foot <laughs> well, so they're I, calling it the second the second brain because it's it, well I'll, you tell me your story and then i'll tell you why why they think it's now scientifically and medically we think it's such an important part of our health mental health as well as physical health well What's your third brain the story the story i read about was um there's an adventurer called ed stafford who, yes, I know. I mean, he, right. Yeah, and he's spoken about this several times before. And he used this idea of the three brains because he was doing a show where he was going to be marooned on an island. Um, I think it was for ITV. And he was sort of trying to prepare for it. And he spent some time with an Aborigine tribe. And um, it was there that he sort of learned about this theory of the three brains. Now, for, for, that, for the Aborigines, the, the idea of these brains is that the first brain is the gut, so what you're talking about. Mm. And um, they see that as the most important and, and instinctive brain. And then the second brain is our hearts, um, which is where, you know, emotions come into play. And um, then we move on to what they say is the least effective brain, which is the one in our heads. <laughs> um, yeah, which is, you know, ironic. But um, Ed, and Ed Stafford sort of describes it as um, there's a there's a phrase that the Aborigines use, which is called Nandu Karu. Yes. Um, which is um, basically it's a phrase they use about fishing nets and the yes. idea that they're tangled and um, how our brains and our thought processes are often tangled and mixed up. Um, and actually what happens is those instincts that we have in our guts – when they travel through these other two brains, in i.e., our hearts and our our head brains, um, 
they get a bit jumbled on the process and um, our instincts change and the process of dealing with these incidents changes also. Mm. And I think, I think we can all probably say that, you know, we, if we live in our heads too much, we start to think they overthink things and that can often lead to negativity and anxiety. Um, So that's a really interesting thing. And actually there's a scientist called Michael Mosley who's recently done an experiment where he's actually put a mini camera inside his stomach. And what he's discovered is that there are actually, there's neurons um, aiding the digestive process. And um, although the stomach's doing these very sophisticated jobs of digesting and extracting things, whilst that is happening, it's still having this ongoing contact with the brain. Mm. Um, And so I think, you know, as someone who, you know, I've tried in my life to sort of follow my gut in various moments, um, I've just thought this was extremely fascinating. Um, It is. It's so interesting, isn't it? And that ties in with uh, an experience I had in Australia. I filmed a series there a couple of years ago, and I filmed a lot with Aboriginal tribes. And the whole, the thought process and storytelling, it's its fascinating. And two things. First of all, just talking about all this gut health and how your gut health and your diet is so important to your mental health and your thought processes. Well, of course, diet is key to a lot of tribes, people around the world, and they're eating fresh mm. produce from the forest, from the gardens. I mean, I remember this moment, we, we, we were standing in the Daintree Forest and um, uh, Neville turned around and he said, you know, you look and you see trees and a forest. He said, I look and I see a medicine basket and a fridge. Wow. Because everything in the forest for them either has a therapeutic reason for existence. That when, when he's looking out, there's a therapeutic reason for that plant that's something mm. that will help them from a medical point of view. Or it's just something delicious and tasty and really nutritious. So a good diet definitely impacts your mental health and your mood. So that would be interesting, wouldn't it, to to be able to work out sort of angry, mad, bad, sad people and what their diet is versus people who really care about what they what they what they're eating as well and 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 are on top of their diet. But I was standing in in a stream with Neville and he was telling me these stories uh, about crocodiles and how this crocodile had nearly eaten his little boy or or came for his little boy and their dog threw himself in the water to save the little boy uh, whilst uh, his sister was running for help and and I sort of looked at him and I went it was in this stream that the crocodile came he went, yes yeah <laughs> he said yeah this 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 part of the river because crocodiles big salt water crocodiles do come up this river and I said so why are we standing in it now <laughs> and he said um we, we, I know I have a sense I have a feeling, I have a sense, I will have a gut instinct. We are safe. I know we are safe. And mm-hmm. he then pointed up into the sky and said, and you see the bird up there? He said, that bird will tell me, he will indicate, he will, he will make a noise or he will swoop down and sort of scrape the surface of the river if there is danger, if there is a crocodile coming. And I was like, wow, okay. And I did trust him and I did believe him. And I asked him, well, then why did your little boy get into trouble? And it's because his little boy was, I think, 11 or 12 at the time mm. and was down at the riverbank on his own. Right. And hadn't developed yet this sense, which they do teach to their children, learn your gut instinct and learn about everything you just explained. But the little boy was just a bit, it was too young. He hadn't, mm. he hasn't got to that stage. And when I um, 
met the little boy who was then sort of 15 or 16 he was so wise and he definitely found there was a name for it, it was called like ylang or something and and he definitely had it now the wisdom was there and of course it would be the experience of nearly yes, being absolutely yeah bitten by a crocodile that would do it eaten by a crocodile. Yeah, yeah. That, that would teach you quite a lot wouldn't it absolutely but it, it's the it is the sense and, and it goes back to that hopeful hopefulness that you and i like which is that we can always learn we can always improve and there's there's always something else to make you a better person and to and to learn about oh absolutely we should never close the book and think that we've we know everything there's always something every day i mean i've learned something today from this podcast yeah of course we're not finished are we no not at all no and i think it's so important to be open to that as well and open to new ideas and open to other people's thoughts and feelings about the world and you know if we can take those things on board then it makes us far more rounded people yeah i'm really looking forward to some of the guests that we've got coming on the podcast i mean this has been lovely i like you and i just talking and i think we'll do quite a lot of this on the podcast i hope because we're, we're always listening for the positive stories and we want to be able to talk about them but we have got some really special people who uh, are going to be coming on talking about incredible things over the next few weeks as well and i'm looking forward to speaking to all of them uh, but i'm definitely looking forward to uh, sue stewart smith she's a psychiatrist and she's written this lovely book called the well-gardened mind i'm a um i'm on the uh, the judging panel for the wainwright literary prize and alfred wainwright was this fantastic character who fell in love with the Lake District when he was a young man. He's dead now. He died in the 80s. But he was born in Blackburn and he went to visit the Lake District for the first time in his 20s. And he fell in love with the Lake District and it became his life's passion and work and hobby. He wrote seven pictorial guides and he used to he he hand did hand drawings and sketches and poetry and thoughts and musings and and did all of these walks these these guide walks and that's actually the first set of walks that I started doing I was following in his footsteps so I owe I owe a lot to, to Alfred Wainwright um but uh what was I going to say about that why was that connected to Sue to Sue Stewart Smith has she written a book yeah she's written a book called The Well Garden Mind but what's that got to do with Wainwright have I, have I lost it? Have I lost my mind? Has my well garden mind gone? What gone? does your what do your gut telling you? What is my gut telling me? I don't know what my gut's telling me about that. I definitely was going somewhere with that train of thought, but I just can't remember where. She nominated. Go, oh, the Wainwright Prize. That's what it is. The ramble about Wainwright is because I am a judge on the Wainwright Prize, and um, it's 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 to do with nature writing and. Uh, the Well Garden Mind has made the long list, which is why I'm reading it now by Sue Stewart-Smith. And she's agreed to come on as a guest. And it's fascinating because she's a big gardener. And I don't describe myself as a gardener because I'm not very good at it. But what she talks about in great depth and lots of other things in the book is how nature and gardens are very therapeutic, but how various gardens are suitable for various ailments, even when it comes to, to mental health. And I know your little boy, Sonny, I know he likes to spend lots of time in the garden, doesn't he? And he's dyslexic, but he finds it very comforting. There are things that he he does outside that really are rewarding for him, aren't they? Yeah, and especially during this the time we've been at home, he's been doing a lot of, my wife's been out doing lots and lots of gardening. She really enjoys gardening. She watches gardeners well, religiously. And um, <laughs> I think woman. the fact, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think now we, because we have, we're very lucky we've got a little garden, which means we can, you know, we can get out and do stuff. And we've, We've made a pond. I say we. Um, she's made a pond, and uh, 
And um, yeah, and um, Sonny's been really loving going out and seeing, and like you said earlier in the podcast, actually seeing things growing from seed um, and into some some absolutely beautiful plants that we've got now. And um, I think it's so important for us to really take the time to um, enjoy these spaces that we have. And um, you know, I think for us as a family, it's been it's been good for that, and for him particularly to be able to do something practical with his hands and um, get involved um, yeah. in, in, in that process has been really, really rewarding. You see, Sue Stewart-Smith will be able to tell us more about that because she's a psychiatrist um, and a psychotherapist, I think. And um, there are particular styles of gardens and outdoor spaces that are more suitable for different people. So depending what what um, what they're dealing with and the issues that they're dealing with. So for example, in the book, uh, the bit that I'm at at the moment is autistic um, people or people who are on, on the spectrum prefer gardens that are more regimented and um, more patterned and have order. So there would be different plants and different gardens that, 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 that would be beneficial for them to spend time in. Whereas there could be uh, other people who have um, various other mental health issues like post-traumatic stress disorder, Um, maybe walled gardens would be better. And they Mm. are because there's a feeling of safety and you're enclosed and there can be no approaches from behind. And and it's just fascinating how those different environments affect us all. It's not just people who've got mental health issues. It's it's all of us. I mean, I like wildness. I like what, you know, I'm constantly having a battle with my partner about uh, about. Um, mowing the lawn I'm not, I don't want to mow the lawn I want it to be wild and long and, and I like things like tufts of grass and you know even the old weed coming out I, I like that and um, well do you know what that's actually something I've loved going around um, when we've been walking past sort of unused parks and stuff and seeing the long grasses has been really cool I think and yeah. seeing nature sort of taking over. I'm a big fan of, of rewilding projects and I yes, think just being nature take over is is really great I want to I want to start a campaign about verges because councils all over the UK have got it so wrong with verges. First of all, mm. they're, they're, a lot of them are just being trimmed and mowed and mowed to death, literally. So you're losing all these biodiverse habitats. And then they say, oh, well, it's because it's on a corner and you can't see. It's like, oh, no, that's rubbish. It's not a sight line. It's, it's, that's a... And then what a lot of councils have been doing as well, unfortunately, is that they've been putting the wrong, they have been growing verges, but they've been putting the wrong species down. So they haven't been putting mm. native species down. Um, so I want to start a campaign called Verging on the Ridiculous. Will you join me? <laughs> oh, of course I will. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's start it. Because we haven't got enough to do. You know, we've got the podcast, you've got your other podcast blank. I'm doing a book project at the moment, working on a new TV series. Let's take something else on, shall we? <laughs> always, always looking for more stuff to do. That well, it's more stuff that I will do fifty percent. <laughs> what that you'll do at fifty percent like running, so you'll only put fifty percent of your energy. Yeah, always, in yeah. Always. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many things to do. I have to percent I have to sort of cut them all up cut them all up well i think we must be we must be running on eights at the moment surely yeah, yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> oh well there we go thank you for listening to a little bit of positive i hope we haven't just been rambling on with complete rubbish and that you found it uplifting and inspiring yeah it's always good to talk about positivity it is always good and hopefully you're all smiling so please leave us a rating and a review in your podcast app if you like what you hear and what you see we've been very, very um, happy, overwhelmed and positive by the response so far, haven't we, Giles? Because we're doing pretty well as a podcast. I mean, it's just you and little me. 
Yeah, it's been amazing. And thanks to Guy as well at Dapdip for their wonderful production skills. Thank you to Guy, our lovely producer, and for putting up with me particularly and all of my technical issues that I have <laughs> every single week. One day I will I will come to the podcast in a flawless technological stream and you guys won't know what to do. No, but I'll be very positive about that. Good. <laughs> I'll try and do that for you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.